Welcome to the Expert Ownership Podcast, where we launch faith-filled entrepreneurs into greater freedom and success. Billy Graham once said that the next great move of God, he believed, would be among Christians in the marketplace. We believe that too. We want to be a part of it, and we want to help equip and inspire you to do the same. So please follow us on socials at Expert Ownership. If you haven't been to our website yet, check it out, expertownership.com. But we are excited about what God is going to speak through us to you today. Here we go. Welcome to the Expert Ownership Podcast. We're here in 2022, kicking it off again and setting a good tone for what this year is going to bring. Today, I'm here with David and Jason Benham. I'm Larry Hubatka, your host. And we're going to be talking about something that tends to be a little bit vulnerable. People don't always like to talk about these things. I know I've got a therapist, and my therapist says, you got to get better at talking about this kind of stuff. Vulnerability when it comes to past mistakes. I've never made a mistake. No, you haven't, but I'm, I'm hoping that we'll soon get to see you make one. You know, Larry, I would like to be your therapist. I guarantee you I can... I, I'll, I'll, I'll cut the price in half. Will you also cut the value in half? Um, Ooh. Good call. I don't know. Jason, how I would like screw- to know Jason, your issues. You, you've screwed up a ton in the past. So start, you start. <laughs> I don't think Larry has any issues. He's like perfect. He is. I, I, I need to talk to Kelly. Mine are all hidden. They're, they're the worst kind. Oh, <laughs> does Kelly think you're perfect too? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm the only perfect one here. Jason, you start. So the question is, yeah. a mistake you've made in your past business experience that you'd yes. like to share today. Oh, gosh. Well, I've got a whole book full of them. But I can mention one in particular. When you let ambition jump out of the passenger seat into the driver's seat, you are in trouble. Okay, you, you, you've got to break this one down because again, you've got a bunch of driven business people yeah. in the marketplace saying, like, I thought I was supposed to be ambitious. Yeah. What are you saying? Well, so, so let me say this. Okay. Ambition is a great follower, but a terrible leader. Good. Well, let me go a little bit deeper. This is because, you know, we're talking to faith-filled entrepreneurs. Our goal is to launch you into greater freedom and success. And if you're faith-filled, then you all also ought to be a biblical assassin, which means that you're in the Bible every single day because you recognize that the Bible isn't just a manual for Christian living. It is a manual on how you live your life and make every single decision, including building your business. So when you look in the scripture, we know that in the Old Testament, there were kings and priests. The king was the one who you know, had authority and dominion and power. The priest represented God to the people and the people to God. So the priest basically was the one who was gracious and merciful, and the king is like dominating. Now, they were in two separate people, separate offices in the Old Testament. Now, Jesus comes along, and he's a king priest, right? So he is the ultimate king, and he's the high priest. And then, after his death, burial, and resurrection, we see in Revelation 1, where God tells us he's made us to be king priests. So every single one of us as human beings are now kings and priests, which means we have two things going on inside of us. We have this one thing that's the kingly side of us that wants to dominate. And win. I mean, David and I... And that's a good thing. It is. It's competition is meant to build up, not to tear down. And so it is a good thing to want to win, to want to make money, to want to crush it to be and excellent. build the biggest business in the world. Like, that's a good thing. Isn't, not that the funny best. That, isn't that funny that some people frown on that and feel like, well, it's not the right approach. I don't think that's the godly approach. Well, I think it is the godly approach. It's the godly approach so long as the priest is alive. Exactly. So that's you got the, the key. You got the king inside you that wants to dominate. And if you don't feel some type of 
like, I want to take authority here. I want to take control. If you don't ever feel that, then you've got to feed the king in you, right? You need to feel that. Explain, explain. Well, like if you're in a relationship and you're a man and what you like to do is you come home from work and you just put the TV on and, you know, you've got a remote in one hand and a beverage in the other and your kids, you know, need a dad to play catch with them and your wife needs somebody to talk to. Like in that moment, arouse that king, homeboy. Like you treat your family like you treat your work, like your business, and you want to excel at that, right? So you got to wake that king up. Now, on the other hand, we also have priests. That's the that's the mercy. That's the grace. That's the I want to be right in relationship with God and with people. And so long as the king is led by the priest, you're in good hands. The minute that shifts and the king is now leading the priest, which means you're jumping out there with ambition, and then you're like, yeah, I want to make millions of dollars. Oh, yeah, okay, I want to honor the Lord too. Yeah. And I'll give a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Like, then you, you're out of source because how did that work out in the Old Testament? Anytime the king didn't listen to the priest, it was chaos. Trouble. Okay, before you move on, a couple, give a couple examples of when this is out of alignment, how does it express itself? How does somebody so recognize this, this? This is where I'm going with the first thing that I said was I allowed ambition to jump out of the passenger seat into the driver's seat, which means the priest is supposed to be driving your life, which your the desire, the desire for a relationship with Jesus and a relationship with people and being merciful and gracious with people. Like that's supposed to be leading. Like, God, what are you doing? Okay, you're leading in this direction. Okay, I want to go that direction. Now, when I go that direction, I want to crush it in that direction. Like, see the king how be comes. Excellent. See how the king comes in? Yes. Well, David and I, we failed in this. We let the king jump out of the passenger seat, or I would say ambition, jump out of the passenger seat. We had this little piece of land, so David and I had an office, and our business was killing it. And we're like, hey, we need to move to a new location. And so David found this little piece of land, and it was in a perfect location, right off of this the busiest exit in North Carolina. David drove me over to it, and he's like, let's pray about it. And when we were praying about it, we felt like God said, yes, this land is for you. Okay, we got to come back to that, by the way, because that's what people feel all the time. They don't think they're making a mistake when they're huh. in the midst of it, but somehow they felt like, no, God gave me the thumbs up. Yes. So okay. we'll come back to that. Keep well, going. So let me give you a little principle there. God's yes and God's go are two different things. Great. Typically, there's a period of waiting in between both where he makes you into the person who can handle what he said yes to. Or provides for what he said yes to. And during that time, he's working on you. So, David and I, before this time, right before we found this land, we felt like God told us, don't go in debt for your business anymore, okay? And we had already gotten ourselves out of debt and for business debt, and we're like, we're not going to do that again. And yet, we found this land, and we felt like God said, yes, this is your land. But the land itself was, how much was it? 600,000? 600, yeah. 600,000, okay? And this is in 2008, just before the real estate crash. Well, you know what we did? When we found that land for 600, we felt like God said yes, we instantly called a bank. Okay, because now, all of a sudden, if God says yes, well, then my ambition can take over at this so, point. So you're saying that God can tell you yes, yes. Uh -huh. and you can get it wrong. And you need to wait. That's right. Because God said yes, but we also knew that God had already told us something else. He told us don't go in debt. So if God said yes to something and I don't have the 600000 then what do I need to do? Wait for the 600000 or if we were really smart, wait six months because the real estate market was going to crash and I could have got it for 300000 But we didn't do that. You know what we did? All of a sudden, God said, yes, we're like, great. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, okay, priest, you're in the driver's seat. Let's put you in the back seat and we'll put the king in the driver's seat. So we let our ambition take over. We called a bank, got a loan just like that. We got a loan to build the building on top of that for $1.3 
And so now here, was it 1.3 million total for the whole project? Yeah, it was, was one seven total. One seven for the total project. And we got this loan. Okay. And we hired the lowest bidder. So we had three bids. We hired the lowest bidder. And this particular property had some wetlands in the back. So we had to build up a retaining wall. And that retaining wall was 40 feet high. And so we had the lowest bidder build this whole thing for us. And a month after we moved in, the entire back wall of our 40-foot retaining wall collapsed while we were in the building. People ran out of the building screaming. I mean, literally, we, it felt like an earthquake. The whole building shook. Now, fortunately, there was enough raw ground dirt underneath the building that it didn't collapse into the wetlands below. But as David and I were standing behind our building looking at a wall that had collapsed and a portion of our building suspended in midair, it was as if God reminded us both at the same time. I said yes to something. I did not say go. Okay, so you got to rewind for just a minute because all the way through that process, you felt like you were nailing it. Oh, yeah. You're like, yes, God said yes. 100%. We're crushing. We got the loan. Everything's falling in place. We got yep. a low bid. We're, this is mm-hmm. perfect. But we had transgressed something specific God told us not to do, go into debt. And did you see it? Did you know it at the time in your spirit? No, we felt like kind of because this was going to be so good for our company and this was going to expand our horizons and really develop us to that next level where we needed to be financially, we thought, okay, yeah, we're just going to borrow all this money because we can. We had great credit and we had already known, don't do that because we were almost out of debt already. And now all of a sudden we're plunging back into a significant amount of debt. So we did have a little check, but God's purposes. But listen, you know, we should have been paying attention because as we look back on that project, it was a very difficult project. We had to continually pump more money in. Our contractor was just an absolute egghead. And it was it was roadblock after roadblock that we kept busting through. But what when we're looking back on that now, we're like, God was making this difficult for us so that we would open our ears and our spirits. And so now, all of a sudden, here we were. The wall had just fallen. We're standing behind the building. David was crying. I was not. <laughs> I did feel a little teary-eyed. Because you got to remember, we just spent $1.7 million dollars. And, and it literally that. fell apart. Mm-hmm. It fell apart. Yeah. And we had over 600,000 of our own dollars in this to build it out, 500,000. And so we just felt like it was all it was all gone at this point. And God really did convict us. At that moment, we felt like, I remember David saying, do you remember when we promised God we wouldn't go in debt anymore? I was like, yeah. I said, yeah. He said, we went in debt for this building. And I said, I know. And I felt the same thing. And so then I, I said this specifically. I said, okay, for the next two weeks, let's really listen to the Lord and let's write down what he's telling us. And for the next two weeks, I'm telling you, it was conviction sandwich. I wrote down 12 things that I felt like God was speaking. And one of those was never let ambition jump into the driver's seat. That God's yes and God's go are two different things. Listen, if we would have waited, because this happened a year and a half after we bought the land. Because it took us a long time to build. Right. Guess what happened during that from 2008 to 2010? Guess what happened? The real estate market crashed. Do you know at the end of it, when David and I got done reconstructing our wall, it cost us a million dollars to reconstruct that wall. At the end of that, which was about a two and a half year period total from the time we bought the land to the time the wall was 2.7 million in. Yes. Yes. But now here's the thing if we would have waited and the market crashed, and then obviously you knew you could hire contractors for cheaper at that point because nobody's building anything. David and I could have built in a year and a half for cash what now we had $2.7 million of debt in. <laughs> so it was the, crazy. The Lord was like, if you would have waited, 
You didn't know that the worst real estate crash in the last 50 years was coming. You didn't know that, but if you would have waited, right? And so now David and I know, and we teach that lesson all the time. God's yes is not always God's go. And we know it's God's go when the doors begin to open and you don't have to pry them open. You don't have to kick them open. For David and I to get that money, that 600 grand that we needed to buy the land, and then the extra 1.1 million to build that building, we had to borrow it. Now, I'm not saying borrowing is wrong. I'll still borrow to this day if I need to. But what we're saying is God told us not to. Right. And if God wanted us to do it, his go would have been he's providing the opportunity and he would have given us that money. That's good. Yeah, it was a hard lesson to learn. I would say outside of a specific tangible lesson like that, one of the biggest things that I've learned from the last several years in business, and I go to a verse that we read at Christmas time, Mary treasured all these things in her heart. Hey, can I say this real quick? Yes. That song, Mary, Did You Know? Great song. Did right. you see the, the new version of it? No. Mary freaking knew. <laughs> no. Like the it. whole Mary, did you know that your baby boy was like God? Yeah. It was like Mary freaking knew. <laughs> she knew he was God's son. <laughs> Haven't seen it. Yeah, was that a Babylon, hilarious. Babylon B or something. <laughs> um, so Mary treasured these things in her heart. There are times in business where you get excited about somebody. Specifically, I'm going to give this in relation to hiring or partnering or talking to different vendors that are going to do work for you. What I've learned over the last several years is that there are things about people that you just need to treasure in your heart and wait and see and do like, hey, we're going to do this for 30 days and then let's revisit, or we're going to do this for six months and then let's revisit, or setting up some sort of check back because I get really excited and passionate. I'm like, hey, we're going to do this, and I cast a little too much vision, and they're not ready for that. And they, like, if, if, if the Lord speaks to you and you're excited about something, sometimes, quite often, you should treasure that in your heart and let it play out as opposed to hiring somebody and announcing everything the Lord's going to do and what your plans are for them. And 60 days later, you're like, crud. Yeah. I, I have to backtrack. That's a good one. And I have to let them go. And I have done that. Gosh, I've probably made 10 of those mistakes. So I'm sure there are 10 people out there that just genuinely don't like me. <laughs> well, because as entrepreneurs, you're a vision caster. You have to be very careful who you cast your vision to because people are going to want to join in. And when they want to join in, one of the things as entrepreneurs, we love people who are passionate about what we're passionate about. So we oftentimes bring them into the fold. And the next thing you know, you got fish in your boat who shouldn't be there. They should be in their own boat or, right. or, or whatever. And and I have had to eat so much crow with so many different people over the last probably 10 years or so where I'm like, you know what? I'm really sorry. I think that you're supposed to be here. And they're like, well, who are you to tell me what I'm right. I'm here? I'm bought in. I'm And I'm like, crud. You know, like I should have just shut my mouth. I should have said, hey, for the next 30 days, here's what I'd like to do. And, you know, here's some things or here, we're going to do this for six months or we're going to hire you for a year. But for the first, you know, three months is this, the next three months, and then we're going to review and you know, and that all seems so simple. It's like, gosh, you guys actually have hired so many people and you've done all these things and now you're learning this? Well, I'm just saying this is like a, I don't want to call it a sin, but it's like a bad habit that I've got. I just see, get pumped and I start saying way too much. If we had Larry, <laughs> if we just had Larry running our company sooner, uh, then things would have been much okay, better. Well, what did you learn, Larry, since Tell you're us. so perfect? Well, I, I mean, I was... <laughs> I was just going to say at least the upside of these, you know, these mistakes we're highlighting is that the 
past gets to teach us and gets to illustrate things for us, but it doesn't get to bind us up. Boom. So for business owners, leaders, you know, even parents uh, going into 22, just a good reminder to say, regardless of the history, I mean, you don't need us to say this to you, but as a reminder, because, you know, just like we read the same scripture a hundred times, for whatever reason, the hundred and first time God gives us revelation. Right. Mm-hmm. There is something about being able to walk away from the past. And, you know, the three for, for those of you listening, the three of us really love Logos, the Bible software. Yes. If you don't use it, I mean, you are... You're missing out. Missing out. I mean, if there's one thing it does, it just saves you time. Mm-hmm. What was probably a 50-hour project became a five-minute project in terms of figuring out how to it's break amazing. down God's Word and just understand it, understand it contextually. But there was a great passage that I came across, or a great commentary I came across recently when I was looking at Isaiah 43. That's a you know fairly famous passage, Isaiah 43, 19, about God saying, I want to do a new thing. Mm. And the the commentary said, God's revealed in the past, but he's always more than the past reveals. Mm. And I think that is so good, good because we're sitting here thinking about the experiences that we've had in the past and whether it's the wall or it's, you know, maybe jumping the gun and either hiring people or bringing people into the fold. I think God is showing us something about ourselves, mm-hmm. showing us what he's put into us. But at the same time, he's like, ah, oh, it's so much more than that. Learn from that, but just don't lose the ambition. Don't lose the spirit. Don't lose the fire that's in you that led you down that path, but begin to refine it, begin to take yeah. that, build off of it and know that the experience that comes from time. And I mean, like most people say, we learn primarily from mentors and mistakes. Yep. That's well, good. let's not miss out on that. We've got all these mistakes to draw from, which are heartbreaking in the moment, but they make us so much stronger going into you know the next season of life. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, guilt binds you. Grace frees you. Yes. God uses guilt, you know, for something that you did in the past in order to get you to a point where you can repent so that you can experience grace and mercy, right? And it, it harkens back to the Day of Atonement in the Scripture. Day of Atonement, when they would pronounce the, the sins, you know, on the sheep and the goat, and they would slice the, the, the neck right? And it would kill the sheep. And of course, that looked forward to our ultimate sacrifice, which was Jesus. And by the way, let me give you one quick side note. You hear me, David, Larry, talking a lot about scripture, and we oftentimes go back to scripture and we're talking about it and how we apply it to life and business. If you're not in the scripture every single day and it becomes the number one go-to book for you, you are missing out on what God would have for you. So I just want to tell you that. So we're talking scripture. When we go back to the Day of Atonement, there were two goats that had to be sacrificed, okay? So the one actually was never killed. So the first one was sacrificed. It was the, the goat or the sheep, whichever one they brought, was, was sacrificed and it was killed. And that looked forward to Christ's sacrifice on the cross and his blood covered our sins. But then they had another one called a scapegoat. So it was a goat that they, would, they kept it bound on a, on a little string and they would, they would kill the first one. And then the second one, they would give it to a guy they called him the man of readiness, and he would walk it out to the woods, and he would pronounce the sins of Israel onto the head of that goat. He would release that goat, smack its butt, and it would go running off into the woods. Now, here's the key. That goat right there was never killed. That goat that carries the guilt of the sin sacrifice was, was never killed. It was alive, and it's running around out in the wilderness, but you can't let it come and dominate, mm. right? So it's like, yeah, you've been forgiven, and God's given you forgiveness. That's what the first goat was for, but yet you can still feel guilty for it. What you need to recognize is I'm not going to let it stay attached yes. to me it's in great. terms of holding me back, right? And so it's like, yeah, I, I do remember that day. I remember that sin. I remember that that mistake that I made, and, and thank 
the Lord, he's forgiven me of that. And I'm not going to have this goat attached to me anymore, but I'll never forget it. And I'll never forget it. That's what keeps me humble, but I'm not going to keep it attached to me. Can you imagine trying to go into a battle with a goat attached to your leg? Like you can't fight as a warrior is supposed to fight. Can you imagine going and, and trying to serve in whatever capacity in your business with a goat attached to you? I would like to see it. The you goat would like of, to. The goat of guilt. And even if it's something, not something that's sinful, but it's just something like what I said. I just talk too much, right? Cast too much vision. It's foolish. It's dumb. I got to be patient. I got to cherish those things. We shouldn't feel guilty about the stuff in the past. We deal with it. We adjust. We make sure that the relationships are, are, are there's peace is far as it depends on us which i've done in my past and jason's done larry i know you have as well and then we move on release the goat that's exactly right don't hold on to it and and going into 22 i mean if you're a business owner you've got to be thinking through how can i release some of the stuff that has been weighing on me for from the last year from the last several years and frankly there's a direct correlation between your ability to be successful and your ability to release things Mm. so if you've got something that's you know, fresh in your mind or it's top of mind, you're holding on to it and it feels like it's just, you know, an unbearable burden on you. One, God wants you to know that there's freedom in Christ. Learn to walk away from that and feel like if you don't learn from it, you're going to learn the same lesson again at some point. So learn from it, but then let it go. Mm-hmm. Learn to let it go and let 22, especially at the beginning of the year, I mean, there's some natural seasonality to January. It's January. It's a fresh start. You get to reset. It's the same way I used to yes. do it when I was in college. I used to always say, well, next semester. Yeah. The beginning of next semester, I'm really going to step it up. Yeah. Well, guess or, what? This is next diet. semester. Yeah, <laughs> yeah tomorrow. Right. Tomorrow, I'm going to start eating that's healthy. Right. But tonight, I'm going off. That's right. But guess what? Today is that tomorrow. So let mm. it go, and let's get a fresh start in 22. When you've already handled the situation, you've repented to God, you've repented to the people, and you've made the situation right, whatever the situation is, Satan's way is guilt, God's way is gratitude. So you don't ever need to forget what you did. That's right. Right. It's like letting it go isn't like, I'm never going to remember this. And if it comes right. in my mind, I'm going to try to get it out. No, you got to remember what you did. But it's not to lead you to guilt. It's to lead you to gratitude for God for giving you of that and giving you that experience so that obviously you can be gracious to other people, you know, show people grace in the same way that God showed you grace. So it's gratitude. It's not guilt. So for me, I remember David and I were driving around these little Nissan Altima cars for so long because we were, you know, and, and you need to listen to our podcast on money because we talked about how if you if you do what, what's the what's the Ramsey quote? Live like yeah. no one else. Yeah, so that you can live like no one else. So that you can. So David and I, we had this franchise. We had a hundred locations. We had people paying us big money every month that were driving BMWs and Infinities and all sorts of stuff. And David and I were driving two thousand five Nissan Altimas, and we did that, and we did that for a long time. But I remember saying, "Okay, God, when I'm fully out of debt, because we wanted to pay off our rental houses and all sorts of stuff, I'm going to buy myself." a really nice black suburban so i had four kids and i'm like i need the room and i want a really nice black one and specifically that looked back to jerry falwell always drove a black denali and i always thought man that looks really cool i like that so i wanted black suburban so i started david and i were making really good money and we were we were pinching as many pennies as we could to pay off all of our debts and and we got to about a hundred thousand dollars left or $75,000 left of paying off our debt. And a buddy of mine who had the Suburban that I wanted came in, he sat down in Bible study, and at the end, he's like, hey, I'm looking to sell my Suburban. Let me know if if you know anybody that wants to buy it. I said, anybody, I'll buy it. And he's like, oh, all right, I'll sell it to you. You know, within 24 hours, I own that sucker. (laughs) 
And yet I deliberately did something that I felt a little check in my spirit. The Lord's like, hey, you said that when you're out of debt, you're going to buy yourself this thing. And that that's, you know, was our principle. We're going to buy this nice car out of a reward and not a routine. And so I transgressed that. And, you know, I drove that thing for about two weeks. I felt so guilty. So here's what I did. I said, okay, God, I'm so sorry. Because I had actually told the Lord that I, this is what I was going to do. I was going to wait until we get out of debt. So Lord, help us get out of debt. And he did. And he helped us so much. You know, we were paying off so much, so much stuff. We got to the end of it. And so I jumped the gun, 75K to go. And I jumped the gun and got that Suburban. And so I'm praying and I ask God to forgive me. And then I stopped feeling guilty. And then the Lord told me, sell it. I mean, I've like <laughs> driven it for two weeks and I had already got it like factory refreshed and spent all that money to get all stains out of the carpet and all this kind of stuff and did all this and God, God said, sell it. So I called a buddy of mine who owns a car dealership and I said, this is the weirdest thing ever. Explain to him the situation. He's a Christian. He's like, well, you're an idiot, but you know, I'll sell it for you. So I put it on this dude's lot and God is my witness. David, how long was it? Like three weeks later, yeah. I think we had closed some big deal and we had all the money to get our, get ourselves completely out of debt. We got out of debt. It was three weeks later. I called my buddy at the car lot. I said, dude, do you still have the Suburban? He's like, I got a woman who's driving here right now to buy it. And I was like, crap. So I was like, okay, well, God, that's how it is. The next day he texts me and said, the woman never showed up. If you come here today, just pick it up and take it. And within the next 30 minutes, I was there. And now, as I was driving home, I went and grabbed it, and I drove home, and I was filled with gratitude. I mean, I was like driving this car when I was driving it three and a half weeks earlier, and I was filled with guilt because there was something that I did that I right. needed to make right. Now I'm driving it again three and a half weeks later, and I'm filled with gratitude. And I didn't allow that guilt for how I screwed up in the past to define me at that moment. I was just overwhelmed that God did this for us. And uh, and so that's that's just a way that you don't let the past define you, but you can sure as heck use it to guide you. My favorite part about that car is the uh, pink fuzzy steering wheel cover that you had. Yeah. That uh, I loved. The bediz- so nice. The bedazzled spinny wheels. Easy. <laughs> tasseled spinny wheels all right on that note we got to wrap up for today quick own it or loan it you know what we're right on the cusp of the uh at the time of this recording on the cusp of the college football playoffs Mm. own it or loan it expanding the playoffs to eight teams own it own that sucker more teams yes better Mm -hmm. yeah I'm the same. Of course. Because the fifth, the, the team ranked fifth is always somebody who's good enough to win the national championship exactly. for the most Agreed. part. Agreed. Yeah. Ninth? No. Yeah, yeah that's exactly not, right. Not yes. ninth, but and I would say a little more than the fifth. I'd say sometimes the sixth place team. And just throw the other two in seven it's, and yeah. eight just yeah. in case to Easy give numbers. yourself some margin. And that's right. Unless it's Notre Dame. When they're ranked fifth or third or second or first, they they're never 12th. good enough to win just the national four, championship. Then. Just top four. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Expert Ownership, the podcast. Don't forget, rate, review, subscribe if you haven't. And uh, don't forget, impact over income. But it is okay to pursue both. Just get the order right. Okay, we'll talk to you soon. In Jesus' name, amen.